Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Hi, welcome back to Parenting in the Trenches. We've got a unique topic today in our series on expecting baby, which, um, you know, while we're still focusing in on infant care and uh, self-care and couple care, it's coming from a unique voice perspective and angle to a a unique audience. So while most of our episodes are our listener base tend to be uh, the women of the world, um, this is directed more toward um, their partners or their their male partners in particular. So we are looking at uh, the research and the tips and the tools that help fathers father well. And Dr. Singley, Dr. Dan Singley is a San Diego-based board-certified psychologist and the director of the Center for Men's Excellence. His research and practice focuses on mental health um, around men, men's mental health, with a particular emphasis on reproductive psychology and the transition to fatherhood. Uh, He could not be a more perfect guest for the topic we wanted to cover today. He conducts training and presentations around the country to assist individuals and organizations to enhance their level of father inclusiveness. He also founded the grant-funded Basic Training for New Dads, Inc., which is a nonprofit and a networking application that was just for dads in order to give new fathers the tools they need to be highly engaged with their infants as well as with their partners. So I'll ask him more about that. He is the past president of the American Psychological Association section on positive psychology, and he's served on the board of directors of the San Diego Psychological Association, including chairing the Men's Issues Committee, and currently serves on the boards of APA's Society for Psychological Study of Men and Masculinity, as well as Postpartum Support International. With well over 15 years of experience, uh, Dr. Dan Singley specializes in the treatment of anxiety, stress, depression, and men's issues with a particular emphasis on parenthood. And in 2017, Dr. Singley was awarded the prestigious Practitioner of the Year Award by American Psychological Association Society for the Psychological Study of Men and Masculinities. In his free time, Dr. Singley likes to cook surf, read, and drive his two sons to activities all over town so that they cannot escape his annoying, shrinky questions. Classic therapist move. Our kids are not going to turn out normal, are they? (laughs) Uh, Dr. Singley, welcome, and thanks for taking out some time out of your busy schedule to talk to both the women of the world, but also their male partners who um, could probably use some support and some confidence boosting in the area of fathering, uh, particularly for those who are doing this as a first round. So if they haven't had previous kids, this might feel a little overwhelming. Um, So we're looking to kind of uh, calm the nerves around that and increase the skill set. But before we get into the specifics, I would love to kind of talk to you about your perspective. You've done so much research. Uh, You've been doing this work for over 15 years. I'm sure you have a a sense in the bigger picture of what has kind of created a more collective male experience of low confidence around infant care and partner support. And like, how did we land in a bit of a 
place? Is it cultural? Is it gender norms? Is it generational? Where do we get this from? This is a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll try to be as, as brief as I can. I also, just in your first comment, I love hearing you say, yes, the dads need support too. Yeah. Uh, we just provide it, but we'll come back to that. Okay. In terms of your question about about the sense of, of confidence in this kid. So yeah, broadly, I've, I've, I've pulled back to a kind of societal frame and without, without getting too far on this, if you look at it, um, gender in general is sort of has been shifting and masculinity is also very much under construction at this point. And it's about 50 years behind what the, the women's liberation feminist movement in, you know, in the 60s, 70s did to start to empower and question some of those arbitrary gender roles. Yeah. And that a lot of people say, like, oh, it's all biological. I'm like, yeah, some is biological, but a lot of it's stuff that we pick up along the way, including how we think about parenting. And as I say, like, so for me, as a psychologist specializing in the psychology of men, my research is on early fatherhood, so the dude-to-dad transition. Okay. And I don't think about masculinity as one, one monolithic characteristic. I think of masculinities that have different dimensions and nuances to them. Fatherhood is one of them. And you can make a lot of caveats about different cultures or different countries or different areas, but generally speaking in Western countries, fathers are expected to be much more involved these days than stereotypically our own father's generation were involved from the get-go. Pregnancy, yeah, totally. right around birth, diapers and all this, right? Well, yeah. part of what's difficult about that is that there's a general sense that, that, that fathers, guys, people, thinking like, hey, you need to be a lot more involved. However, there's not much in the way of modeling for it. And so it's in that sense directly related to these, this, this cohort of new dads that are like, yeah. I know I'm supposed to be super dad and be much more involved. However, nobody's giving me the direct training for it. As a society, we've, we've, we've made room for guys to be really involved as dads, but we haven't necessarily accorded the respect of doing so. They're not still going to get dinged for being feminine or maternal or just not not manly enough as an example so i think the modeling is not there about what yeah. to do as a dad yes. and also simply the respect for 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 doing good call that makes so much sense to me we're kind of in the sandwich of it right we're in the in between the expectations have yeah. changed but the skill set hasn't risen to the occasion because it hasn't been shown to us it's not it's I not call modeled. It the fatherhood generation gap aha bingo Okay, I knew there was something going on there. <laughs> you gotta have a term, right? <laughs> you gotta have a term. It yeah. helps us understand it. Yeah. So, what does your work tend to do to focus on in terms of closing the gap of that? You're, you're, I mean, you're you're really being practical about it with these organizations and tools and and programs to help dads close that gap. What what are you offering in there? So I do. When you do mostly work with men in psychology, which I do, you learn to be very practical uh, and applied. And so what we've got, what, what generally, there's my research, and the research focuses on generally what we've done that's new and different is historically research on fathers, on early fathers, has looked at fathers as what we call independent variables in research. In other words, 
aspects of the father that then have impact on partners and babies. And of yeah. course that's important, but in our program of research, we have the father as the dependent variable. We are looking at how do these, how does masculinity, how does social support, the relationship, you know, cultural uh, uh, factors and so on, how do those impact relate to the father? And then how does that impact his involvement with his infant? That's that's essentially yeah. what we're focused on, paternal involvement with infants and yeah. measuring it and fostering it and, and what fosters it and what are bears and so on. So there's the research, which then for me as a clinician, it's nice to be able to then turn around and say, okay, well, a dad that's more depressed is more likely to be involved with his infant indirectly, arranging for things to happen and so on, but he's less likely to do the sort of roll up your sleeve and work. So I turn that around in the consultation room and just use it myself. Uh, more programmatically, we've been teaching classes for expectant dads for for 15 years since since cool. yeah since about 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot uh, like talking with you now uh, as a privilege to, to get the word out, and I do a lot of consultation and training at, at, at organizations to first say, hey, you know, paternal perinatal mental health. It's a thing. Like one in yeah. 10 dads gets postpartum depression. You heard yeah. me right. That's 10%. That's a huge number. And just trying to get the the word out and helping folks to, to normalize the idea that, that dads need support. And there are some key ways to do that. I, and I, I think what tends to happen is when one partner who needs support is depending on the other one who also needs support. (laughs) It's feeling like a doubling down of heaviness. Right. And so, you know, that that's not the person that that can actually contribute much because they're also under-resourced at that point. They're exhausted. They're depleted. They're trying to figure out their own mental health. What is happening to me? This adjustment is massive. It's not what I expected. That's not the person you can lean on in the same way. That you may have expected, right? And yeah. and I do think that's like where the stigma comes up. Men don't have the the same ability to admit that it's hard because we haven't named why it might be legitimately hard, right? Yeah, you so hide the, it. The, yeah. the picture that you just painted is straight out of central casting for the work that I do. I mm-hmm. I am regularly working and. I work with some, you know, some trans dads and, and gay couples, uh, but I also work, you know, predominantly with heterosexual couples as well. So the, the, the male-female piece is apt. Yeah. Um, I am stereotypically working with a dad whose partner has depression, has significant postpartum depression yeah. or anxiety or, or OCD or whatever. And that is the number one predictor of a father developing postpartum depression. One in two. Literally, one and two. Wow. Several meta-analyses have shown that when, when his partner, when female partner has postpartum depression, 50% of the time, so does the dad. And Dang. so this scenario, you said, like, yeah, he needs support. She may not be the person that's, I mean, she may be there in spirit, but just, I mean, yeah. she's, she's beat to hell. She's got depression. Yes. She's, like, vegetating, like, getting out of bed, suicidal, and so forth. And so yeah. that exact scenario where they both need a ton of support is one that I work with literally every day. Mm-hmm. And... One of the sort of male-specific factors, what you just mentioned, is the shame around the shame and stigma around mental health. Yes, that that's for everybody. It's even worse for men, though, because we've actually done research on the feminization of, of mental health and emotions and so on, and when we identify these things as being more mm-hmm. feminine than masculine, they surprise. Yeah. Beyond that, there's a really, really important um, 
societal factor, which is right around the time when guys are starting to have kids, we are narrowing and parrying, parrying down our social support. So your average guy who is in the process of being married, being partnered, going hard at a career, having kids, is also slowly but surely, slowly letting go his social support. So when he finds himself in this situation, not only does he feel entitled to have depression, to have anxiety, yeah. guilty about trying to ask you know, the partner for help, but he's also very likely at a place where like, well, man, if I reach out to my friends, like they're not going to want to hear that or they don't have kids or they can't help. And the guy's able to talk himself out of it. And this self-enforced isolation, mm-hmm. even though they're around people a lot, that being withdrawn is a major contributor that I see all the time. That makes so much sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Well, and half the time they've got partners that are like, dude, um, go play golf go meet up with boys for coffee. Like half the time, it's not like they have some naggy partner that's like, no, I insist you're here like all the time. What I see is quite the opposite. Usually they've got a partner that sees, hey man, you're not taking care of this part of your self-care. Go do it. And the guy can yeah about it. That's that's more of the rule that I see. Huh. You know, I do quite a bit of work around with couples. Um, at this stage of family development from a Gottman perspective. And so all that research, you know, is so echoed in so much of mm-hmm. what your research says as well. And so, you know, what, what had come to mind was, you know, there's, there's some real focused attention on the uniqueness of fatherhood, the uniqueness mm-hmm. of a father's contribution. And, you know, I, I think if, if you come into a role, any role with lack of confidence, you kind of default to the person that looks like they know what they're doing. Right. So I don't think this is any different. You know, if if there's something that looks more organic and your partner is able to just like pick up a baby and soothe and do the thing and you're just kind of standing watching going, I can't do that. The baby's not going to respond to me the same way. Like it's immediately setting patterns of beliefs around these dynamics. Right. Um, So I was thinking about like in your research, what shine, what do you want to shine a light on that, that shows up about the the important tangible things that male partners in particular can provide that feel of value. So they don't diminish their own worth in terms of what they can contribute to parenthood or partner support for that matter. Yeah. So I love that you called out the Godmans. I love their stuff. I pull from their stuff very regularly. Um, the confidence, the confidence piece that you're talking about. So to tease that out a little bit, again, I, I, I'm, I'm a little, a little concerned about sounding sort of like sexist and heteronormative. I, in the, I get you. In, yeah. In the way that I'm running through this. And this is yep. based on a lot of research and a lot of experience. So do we, do we just, um, mm-hmm. self-efficacy reflects one's confidence to do a specific task change a diaper, give a bottle, swaddle a baby, give him a bath, or, or whatever, right? Most people are familiar with the general concept of self-efficacy. Other efficacy reflects, to, reflects someone else's sense of belief or confidence in my ability to do that thing. And so yes. if we go back to the general sort of gendered socialization around early parenthood, that, that generally boils down to 
moms are better at slash good at the handling of, of newborns, infants, mm. and, and babies, mm. and dads are, you know, the, the stereotype out there in most media, including children's books, tends to be the bumbling dad doesn't know what yep. he's doing or he's absent That's or whatever. Right. So yeah. the implication is that if, and the, the Gottmans talk about this sort of more gross motor, jazzed up play style that, that mm -hmm. dads That's will have. Right. There's another yeah. outfit, Michelle Paquette, who's up at, at Montreal. Uh, his research program looks at what he calls... Um, the paternal activation relationship, which involves taking a bit more controlled risk on the part of fathers. They, to me, they sort of get at a similar kind of dynamic. Um, but if a dad wants to get involved, the way he's doing it might be a little bit different than his partner. Yeah. And if his, again, his female partner, if, if what he's doing makes her anxious, the most common response is what we call in the literature gatekeeping, maternal gatekeeping, or, or yes. gate closing, which is essentially, dude, if what you're doing makes me anxious, I'm going to manage my anxiety by not letting you do take it. over. Yeah, correct. And then that that often again, this is a very common dynamic that most of us in the field have, have run into. And then and then what happens is he gets upset, he feels hurt, uh, she feels anxious because they're not on the same page about it. She may not feel as safe. He gets more resentful, more distance and damage in the relationship, and he's not having those hands-on opportunities to yeah. do the work to develop the sense of confidence that he can change the diaper, he can give the bottle, yeah. he can do the, and so forth. And they get into this dance where they're both sort of locked in, and yeah. you know, and usually the solution is you bring him in, you talk about, you know, validate people's sense of anxiety, help them to empathize with each other, do some reality testing, and then set a quick, like, you know, a lot of times the dads want to be like, well, she's not letting me do anything, so I'm just going to take the kid and go away for the weekend. I'm like, no, you're not, dude. That's not the answer here. Like, we're, we're going stepwise. It's basically a behavioral exposure hierarchy. Just come up yeah. and here's a step, right? Like, she, right. she goes and takes a shower. While she's showering, I'm on the kid. She comes back. Yeah. The kid didn't explode. Cool. Now I'm going to take the parameter yeah, yeah, on the yeah, block, yeah. and you yeah. build from there. But, but that's a big thing about that I see around sort of socialization and that confidence. It's like shifting proof of a different kind, right? So otherwise, if, if left to its own devices, it's going to self-implode. It kind of just builds its own case. It proves the self-fulfilling prophecy. See, I knew you couldn't do it, right? Or see, yeah. I knew I couldn't do it. Or see, you won't let me do it. And then we gather all this evidence from that framework that that is actually the definition of a pattern, right? We've come to mm -hmm. pre-expect this of our partner. And so now I'm anticipating this before you've even confirmed it for me. But lo and behold, I set the stage and then you do that. And then <laughs> see... Right. And you're just saying yeah. like that early intervention or the prevention piece is so critical because we don't want the pattern to solidify or to make turn into concrete between us is that it's, it's so common for that to be kind of like what would naturally occur. Now we're going to intervene and say, hang on, we're going to consciously shift this. I'm not going to set this up for you this way. And I'm not going to be looking for confirmation makes a big difference yeah, it, it's well said and and so we, as i say like we teach classes for expected dads um yeah. here actually do it virtually now so we got people from like iceland and, and oh, canada so cool. and alaska Good. and whatnot i know it's, it's not psychotherapy so like you don't have to have a yeah you can do that um and in it one, one of the one of the main points that we're trying to do is to instill in dads a sense of confidence mm -hmm. and and the overall and in it we go through like 
here's how you here's how you change a diaper. We got infant yeah. CPR dolls. They got them and they're on the floor. They're like going through it, um, yeah. and soothe and swaddle and so forth. But the the main point is to give them a sense of confidence to be involved. Like there's no right way to be an engaged dad and partner. Mm -hmm. That varies a lot from household to household. But what, yeah. where we're coming from is no matter what that looks like in your household, don't be a bystander. Yes. Be involved. In order to do that, like you said, you need to change some frames about what it means to look like and, and having a sense of competence and, and faith that we can do it together. We want dads to have the MO of being active, not passive. Yes. Okay. Okay. If we ask the moms who are listening <laughs> to forward this to the dads that might not be listening yet, here's your like opportunity to nail what if, if you could give three or four critical messages that you want to entice dads, like embolden them, give them, empower them, give them what they need to believe that they have a really good role. Um, what some of the pieces might be that they don't feel confident in that there's hope for, like there's a way to learn this. You're not left mm -hmm. in the dark. There is support available. What would you want them to know? Talk directly to the dads. What are we, what are we going to provide for them? So, Top level, it's give the dads alone time with their newborns and infant as mm. soon as possible. Okay. Not in a like, okay, now it's inequitable and it's to but, but rather as soon as is reasonable or feasible, that dad has one-on-one -on -one alone time with, with even with a newborn, skin-to-skin -skin time, dad takes it as much as possible like because there's there is no there's there's just no substitute for experience yeah to develop that sense of confidence to develop that sense of competence and for a variety of reasons sometimes that's really hard for their partners mm -hmm. and so just top that's my top level answer to your question now beyond that it also involves how can how can the two parents work to be a partnership and oftentimes that begins with what you communicate how you communicate and what you don't communicate yeah and and i'm going to tell you so for me as a as a dad this is as a person i guess a well-timed attaboy goes really far <laughs> And, and, and it's one thing if I'm going to go clean the bottles or something, and then my wife comes in after me and is like, well, you missed a spot and sort of redoes what I just did. That actually erodes my sense of confidence or competence. But if I hear from her, Hey, you know, like it was really cool that you got up in the middle of the night and you, were, you sort of took point and that helped me to like, it's like, it, mm -hmm. it's expressing gratitude on the one hand. And that needs to go in both directions. Like, it's actually one of my, but like, again, a little provocative probably, but like the in public mom's planning, where folks will, like, typically moms will like walk up to a dad in the grocery store who's not doing anything noteworthy and be like, you're being such a good dad. Like, sure, it's probably said in a really nice way, but it's also mm -hmm. like, okay, what I get a we cookie for? Like, it. <laughs> correct. And so, again, yeah. it's said with nicely, but, but it also, I'm not talking about that sort of thing in terms of, right. in terms of, 
expressing appreciation, expressing gratitude, um, because I, I think parents need to do that just generally. But I yeah. think being able to communicate in those ways about what their needs are and what they're hoping for and also what's going well, that tends not to be as big of a as big of a focus, particularly right in that, you know, like fourth yeah. fourth trimester. Well, fair enough. I mean, as human beings, we're constructed in ways that we don't develop out of a sense of shame. That that's not a motivator for change, right? We don't we don't grow out of that space. So if if all we're hearing is the criticism and that grows in the bank, you know, I've collected a bunch of criticism today for the things I missed. That is, I think the belief of the partner um, who delivers that criticism is the hope that I'm going to point out the things that aren't going well so that you can improve on them. But in actual fact, that's not how we're wired. We don't tend to gain a whole lot of improvement, right, out of that space. We grow and we build on what we feel successful in and gain confidence in. So, so going back, like, and then a tool that I've ripped off from the Gottmans is the State of the Union meeting, and I use it constantly. I've got my own version of it, and yeah. this is along these lines. Like, I, I've asked hundreds of couples, and at this point, thousands of dads that have, that have taken the class, like, do this, and it's a five-minute meeting. A ten-minute State of the Union is a really long meeting, and in it, each partner tells the other one. In order, here's something I think is going well in our relationship. Here's something I'm having some difficulty with in our relationship. And then third is here's something that you, you, my sweetie, here's something you have done that helped me to feel loved, cared for, connected. It's sandwich feedback, but it's yeah. two-thirds positive, but it also yeah. forces the couple to come together and address like the inevitable points of friction that they have. Like, to me, this is another way when you look at the communication and what partners can do and what dads themselves can do to try to keep their head in the game and to manage the relationship is, yeah. I mean, your question, how do we keep the dads involved? How do we look out for them? If you're familiar with the, the research, the, academic, the scholarly research on paternal involvement with their infants, the, the number one predictor of their involvement is a good relationship with their partner. Like, all over the place. And so that, you've got to talk about the relationship and start yes. asking that kind of question. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to go kind of a little bit backwards, but I want to add in, I think, a really important factor of, you mentioned, like, give dads skin on skin time as much as possible. And we're talking about that currently in the frame of, like, what that does for uh, kind of a dad's sense of involvement it goes beyond just meeting a baby's needs. It's bonding, right? Like, can you talk a bit about what's happening for the baby when a dad is holding them against their chest and skin can I, can, to skin? Can I flip this? Actually, this is, I'm going gonna, gonna to do my, my thing. Um, <laughs> let's talk about what it does for the dad. So several researchers, uh, uh, her name's Ruth Feldman. She's out, uh, her program of research is out of Israel. And then Darby Saxby uh, is okay. a, is a, Southern California, and they both have long programs of phenomenal research that addresses the hormonal and the neurobiological changes of fathers, like right around birth. I love this. And one of the phenomenal studies that, that Ruth Feldman's lab did was they looked at their three groups. It was male, female, and the dad was the secondary parent, and then they had... Um, I think it was like a single dad, and then they had 
uh, gay dad couples. And essentially, what they did was she was looking at the extent to which it is hands-on involvement, skin-to-skin, hearing their cries, changing diapers, mm-hmm. all this. How does that relate to, in this case, it was an fMRI study, and so they were looking at what parts of the yeah. brain light up and, and evolve more. And essentially, what she found was that gender doesn't matter, that fathers experience the exact same kind of um, growth and progression and lighting up of the mm-hmm. emotional, affective, as well as the social interpersonal pieces that we've seen for a long time with the moms. So when you get down to that kind of a biological, and, and there are correlates like, you know, fathers experience hormonal shifts right around the birth of their baby, same directions as yeah. moms, lower yeah. testosterone, higher estradiol, the vasopressin and the pentobondin, yeah. all that, all that. It's just not as high. The magnitude is yeah. less, but the, the direction is the same. So sort of a long way of saying when that dad gets that baby on him, it is shifting his biology yeah. so that he's more likely to pair bond. He's likely to be more emotionally available, not just to his baby, but more broadly. So sure, of course, we could talk about attachment and and yeah. and the, the empathetic and the attunement serve and return. That's well, the other important. half of it. Yeah. And the dad is evolving. The dad is physically yeah. changing as a result of this and he needs it, but he may not know it. The babies are growing us, aren't they? Right? We all think yeah. we're parents that are like I teaching our kids. I <laughs> have learned, well, it's my kid that's actually mm-hmm. shaping me. I get it. Yeah. Good call. That's so good. <laughs> And, and I love that reciprocity because I do think it, it starts to, f- one of the factors of new parenting that starts to feel overwhelming is the constant giving and the not receiving back mm-hmm. or the, yep. the depletion that kind of accumulates. And for us to sit with a different mindset as we're rocking a baby against our chest to recognize this is, this is reciprocal. We are both changing in this moment. And it's not tangible. Like we don't see our are rewiring, right? We don't see this happening and unfolding inside us till we go in an fMRI scanner and it comes out with this beautiful, colorful image that goes, oh, look what's lighting up. Look what's changed. But we, the, the average person doesn't have access to that. So even just trusting that that's what's happening can be really motivating when we're sitting in a chair with a baby or lying on the couch with a baby or playing or interacting. Imagine what is actually changing for you both. And how critical that is for stability going forward for both of you. Hundred percent agreed, and I will I will point that in the direction of parents with postpartum depression think they suck. Yeah, they right? think they're terrible. They think yeah. that they're bad for their babies. That they're not connected to their babies, and and it's a really dark place. They don't feel be. it. They can't access and, it. Yeah. And for someone who is in that dark of a place, mm-hmm. it can, you know, it can be antenatally, but we talk more about, about the postpartum experience. You actually have the baby hearing that, look, this is happening. Even though you have a, 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 a mental frame that says, no, I'm bad and the future's bad and this Skewing is bad. It. Yeah. I do a lot of holding up. I will literally hand research to patients, I work with a lot of technical folks, and so they'll sit up and salute. I show them like an fMRI study or like here's here's something that actually shows like biologically yeah. an element of what you have going on in testosterone and postpartum yeah. depression. Like that can sometimes be a real entryway. But for somebody who is feeling super depressed and, and yeah. down and dark, 
they take that lack of sense of connection as yeah. just more evidence that they're terrible and they're bad parents. Yes. It's, it's just a cycle. It's, it's difficult. Self-perpetuating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For people who are really struggling, in particular with the mental health, uh, in addition to all the other pressures that come with new infants, new parenthood, um, what what do you recommend for men who maybe have not considered getting some support around their mental health? Yeah. Um, for anybody, my suggestion, don't be isolated. Okay. The problem is there's so much stigma around mental health. And when yeah. you look at, at perinatal mental health, the Hollywood version is rainbows and unicorns and super mm-hmm. mom and super dad. And you don't realize, you know, one in seven mom gets postpartum depression. One in 10 dads yeah. gets a how much higher percentage of that have significant anxiety. And oftentimes folks' way of dealing with that is to just sort of lock themselves away or to just kind of power mm-hmm. through, but they avoid they avoid talking about it. They avoid addressing it. So yeah. top level, my my point is just don't be isolated. Be willing to be willing to take that risk and talk to somebody. Yeah. It may be your partner, it may be your friend, it may be your parent, it may be a trusted clergy person, it may be a therapist. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different options. Um, but the first is just don't as much as possible, don't be isolated. Now, one of the ways one of the philosophies that guides how I work with the men in my practice is, while I never condone bad behavior, I also do not shame people yeah. for being who they are. And if yeah. you ask your average person, certainly your average guy, like, what do you think it means to be a dad? They'll usually give you some version of protect and provide. Mm-hmm. That's shifting a little bit, but and, but when we talk about protect, they mean keep the saber-tooth tigers away, keep the food on the, on the table, and... and yeah. So for dads that are really struggling, but that may not may not be connecting to it, or that may mm-hmm. sort of be in denial about it, or they know it, but they just can't get past the guilt of, of, of taking the time to focus on themselves, one of the points that I'll make to them is, okay, here's what the research says about you being depressed and having a newborn. It says that beyond the provision of basic needs, one of the healthiest, long-lasting, most important things that you can provide is the healthiest version of yourself. Because there's a rich, extensive history on the long-term benefits of infants and newborns up to one year of having a more engaged and involved father. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, if you really want to protect, provide, Hmm. pull the car over and work to provide the healthiest version of yourself. That tends to be a light bulb because we're not used to thinking of ourselves as something. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that is, that I think is a fundamental shift in our, um, or I just in general of how we, we have come to understand child development, what's important and what we are truly providing that it goes beyond a full belly and good sleep, right? Like the, there are those practical things that of course, physiologically babies need for that stability and that growth and that, you know, but there's, I, I think it's, it's a pretty relatively new understanding of our contribution to their social, emotional growth and well-being, and their bonding and how fundamental that is to everything else for thriving. 
right? So if we pull the car over and focus on ourselves, <laughs> it means we've got something to offer our babies in quality form, right? Which is essentially what we're trying to aim for. Um, yeah, so the, the, the general point is, for me, as a clinician, I'm pretty direct with, with new dads. And, and I'll just, like I said, pull from the research and say, okay, look, you're really struggling with depression. That's causing you to not take some steps to better yourself or to be involved with your kid. You're really struggling with anxiety that maybe has you avoiding or not being as involved. But I ask the question, so do you want a kid that is a better emotional regulator? Do you want a kid that has more vocabulary words when, when the kid enters school? Do you want one with less involvement in the juvenile justice system, with a higher IQ that's more agentic? If you want these things, the research shows that having a highly engaged father during the first year predicts these things. Yeah. So you're able to yab butt and mm -hmm. say, yeah, okay, but like, don't yab butt your way out of that. These are the things that you want for your child. And if your depression is talking you out of it or your anxiety is causing avoidance, then work on that because your kid needs you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what, what tends to happen is we, we might acknowledge that that's true. And then we either say, well, you know, that's why I have evidence that I suck at this because clearly I'm already harming my kid, right? As right. opposed to what, what can I do about it? And what does it mean to do something about it? It doesn't mean to power through. It means to attend to the root issue, right? And if depression is the block, deal with the depression. Don't just say, I'm going to grin and bear it for the next year and hope it disappears. <laughs> you can imagine some of my patients that are dealing with extreme depression that are coming from that same place. Yeah. We'll get to a point in therapy where I basically say to them, this is the fatherhood expert speaking. Um, dude, just for now, forget about your kid. Sorry, but just for now, yeah. rein it in. We're focusing on, on you yeah. initially. They'll be like, what? Did you just say that? I'm like, yeah, man, that's where we need to be right now. Yeah, yeah. And we need people to tell us that. We're not going to tell ourselves that, right? This is so it goes back to this fundamental piece where you said in the in the in the big picture, don't get isolated. Yeah. Don't let don't yourself go to the point where you don't have a, a mirror, a voice, a a place that actually reflects back to you what the heck is going on for you and can can partner with you to get through that effectively. Yeah. This is one of those ways in which the kind of like lone wolf nothing knocks me off my spot. I yeah. can handle anything version of kind of traditional masculinity. Like that's yeah. very helpful in certain situations. However, if you take it rigidly and inflexibly to an extreme, yeah. it does isolate you and it's just not healthy. Well, nobody wins out of that. I think there's got to be a belief. There's a motivating factor in that that we believe we're serving somebody by being the lone wolf and we're not. Nobody benefits. Well, the point you made earlier about, about, getting into a place of you're, I'm given out. I give, yeah, I give, I, I give, and I give. You know, for us as therapists, we talk about compassion fatigue and we talk about yeah. moms feeling touched out. Um, yeah. But it's all kind of getting at the same basic point, which is yeah. there's a limit. There's a limit for everybody. It's not a everybody. gender issue. Right. Right. Well, I plan to pack the show notes with some resources to refuel people and re-engage, <laughs> not, just, not just the male partners, but everybody who's in a couple relationship who wants to attune to one another, attend to one another's needs, support one another, and expand their village rather than shrink it. So I'll 
throw that all in there. Please go check it out before you drop off the uh, the audio. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll see you back here for next episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Singley, for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks very much. And uh, I hope it's, uh, it's helpful. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.